guys. <laughs> Who said that? That's awesome. How, um, hey, how is everyone doing on a Thursday night? Well, doing well? Yeah? Um, very impressed with the talent that we have. And you guys, they didn't even have time to prepare. So imagine yourself with time to pre prepare at our Christmas party. So if you have talent, we want to see you do it. It's going to be awesome. Um, we are in a series called The Most Human Face of All. The Most Human Face of All. The reason that we did this series is because for a lot of us, when we picture Jesus, okay, and we, and we have good intentions, right, but for a lot of us, when we picture Jesus, we picture this pale-faced, blue-eyed man with nice curly hair that's kind of blowing in the wind, and um, him kind of being ethereal, him kind of being... Um, a little bit, you know, up there, a little bit in the clouds. Like, we don't even know if he walked from town to town. Like, he might have just float, you know. We're not sure. Um, and we hear things like, you know, theolo theologically we know that Jesus was fully man and that he was fully God, right? But when it comes to the way that we picture him or the way that we view him, a lot of the times it's more easy for us to relate with the fact that he was God when the, than with the fact that he was human, right? Like for a lot of us in here, it's easier to picture him as kind of like this angelic figure than it is to picture him as a best friend that you would go on road trips with. It's easier for us to picture him as someone who was um, completely God, than it is for us to picture him um, as someone who is completely human that you would sit down with and have a cup of coffee with. We have a hard time picturing this Jesus as being completely human. When I was growing up, I, had a, I wasn't a Christian at the time, all throughout you know, my growing up years, my childhood years, um, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I did visit at times a friend of mine, and their home um, was a Christian home. And when I would walk in, it was like Mardell's had kind of blown up on the inside. And I would walk in, and there would be, um, you know, crosses, and there would be, um, you know, different verses on the wall and stuff like that. And they had a picture of Jesus, and in it, he was white-robed, and he was kind of looking off into the distance. <clears throat> and I remember it as a kid thinking he intimidated me. And I remember it as a kid thinking, you know, he's kind of above me. Like, I know he came down to earth, but he's like better than earth. And so it was difficult for me to relate um, with this Jesus. He felt a little bit untouchable to me. And I think for a lot of us in here, somewhere deep down, I think for a lot of us, this is, this is the Jesus we know. He might be just a little bit untouchable. And yet scripture says that when he came into the world, scripture says that he came to be one of us and to get as close as humanly possible. John 1 says this, and this is the message version. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, one of a kind glory like father, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And when you picture Jesus right now, do you picture him as flesh and blood moving into your neighborhood? Like someone you could sit down with, you could have a conversation with, you could become best friends with? Or do you picture him as somebody who's just a little bit beyond that? Because if you picture him as somebody just a little bit beyond that, the good news is this, is that he came to be flesh and blood and to become one of us, to get as close as he possibly could. 
And um, as soon as he got here, um, not only that, but as soon as he got here, um, you know, we picture his life and we're like, well, why would Jesus come, right? Like, why would he spend 33 years here? Because if it was just to redeem humanity, right, we know that he came to redeem humanity. But if it was just to redeem humanity, he could have done that in three days, right? Die, be in the tomb, raise again. Like, why 33 years, And then we read this verse in Hebrews. It says this, In the past, God spoke to us through our ancestors and through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided the purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Hebrews is saying in the past, okay, Old Testament, the way that God would speak was through prophets. He would speak through signs. He would give us imagery. And um, the whole point was God was like, this is what I'm like, and this is how I relate to my people. But in the last days, and what he's saying there is this is the last word. You want to know the last word about what God is like? Look at my son. He is the exact representation of my being. And he says, the way that my son interacts with people, that's the way I want to interact with people. He became one of us. He's not a removed deity. And he wants to interact with us. And all throughout scripture, every time we see Jesus, he's interacting with people. He's with people. He's hanging out with people. He's getting with people. He's talking with people, groups of people. And at some point, he earns himself the title. By the end of the Gospels, he earns himself the title of friend of sinners. He came to be one of us, and he came to befriend us. And so I titled tonight, and what I want us to think about tonight is the personality of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, and the fact that he came to be our friend. And I titled tonight, if you're taking notes, an honest friend, an honest friend. And so uh, before we get into tonight, let's bow our heads and welcome the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you. God, I love you. Um, We welcome your presence here. And God, I just give you permission in this room tonight to move. Um, God, in this moment, I pray that everybody would open their hearts to you in a new way. Speak a fresh word to us tonight, God. Revive us and let us know how you feel about us and um, how you want to redeem even more of our lives. You want to redeem even more of my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. How many of us in the room would say it is difficult to be 100% honest in our relationships? How many of us, everybody's like, I am not saying anything. (laughs) How many of us would say it is so difficult to be 100% honest in our relationships? There was a TV show on MTV that came out a few years ago because I like to watch deep theological channels like MTV. (laughs) And it was called Catfish. Totally. (laughs) For those of you who have not seen Catfish, Catfish is a, a television show about relationships that began through online or social media dating. And it's about uh, couples that would fall in love through social media, um, through, through online dating, through text messages, the whole thing, but they had never actually met face-to-face. And in the show, it follows one party, one portion of the couple, and um, the whole point of the, st- of, of the show is that at some point, they meet their partner. They meet the person that they have fallen in love with for the very first time, face-to-face. 
And 90% of the episodes, and it's, um, it's actually a very tragic show, but, um, <laughs> and I say that to be funny, but like, man, if you watch it, like, it's tragic, right? And so 90% of the shows show these people meeting uh, their loved one, the person that they fell in love with online or through social media, and 90% of the time, they are not that person. They don't look like that person. They don't talk like that person. Their interests aren't the same. You know, they'll say that they have this kind of job when really they're, you know, they have another kind of job. They'll say they're this kind of person when they're really this kind of person. Some of them will say, you know, I'm this race when actually they're a different race. It's tragic. And you watch this show and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, like these people, um, you know, it's, I can't believe that they're doing this to themselves. Like who, who, would, who would fool other people? Who would fool themselves this way? But then we think to ourselves, and maybe it's not so far removed for us. Like maybe um, this is actually a little bit like us. I think everyone in the room probably wants to be a little bit better than we really are. <laughs> and all of us present ourselves to be better than we really are. And if you don't believe me, give it up for dating. <laughs> Fellas and ladies. Don't we try to be a little bit better at first? Like, fellas, like, you, and I'm not going to, believe me, I'll dog on both. Um, <laughs> like, fellas, like, don't you try really, really hard at first, right? Like, you sit there and you're like, and, and you're listening to her intently, like you are so interested. And you're like, no, no, tell me about your really difficult day and, and your hair and how you've been having issues with your hair. And, uh... Tell me about, no, no, I want to hear more about, mm -hmm, I want to hear more about your cat. You know, like, <laughs> and like, you know, and, and you are trying so hard at first. Like, and you know, you open doors and you pay for the first couple of dates. Like, you are trying to be your best version of yourself. We're trying to be better than we are. Ladies in here, right? Like, like you're with the fellas and you're like, um, Mm, no, tell me about your car lift one more time. Mm. <laughs> no, I love hearing about your fantasy football team. Do it. I'm just ready for it, right? And <laughs> we pretend to like football, and we pretend to not like Taylor Swift. And, um, <laughs> and he calls you, and he's like, oh, hey, girl, I'd love to stop by later. And, um, you know, it's like 10 in the morning, and you really haven't gotten out of bed yet. And you're like, oh, awesome. Um, right? And you're like, click, whew, like, <laughs> like in the shower, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. And you're like, you know, getting all ready and you get out and you blow dry the hair and you do the makeup and then you curl your hair. But then this is what we do, guys. We put our hair like back up into a bun and then we put on glasses, you know, and then we put back on pajamas, but like cute ones. And, um, and then you ring the doorbell and, and we're like, oh, oh, hi. I just got out of bed. How are you? This is just what I'm like all the time. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> like we pretend to be better than we actually are. 
And then we've got friends, right? And we pretend to be better friends than we actually are. When we meet people, you know, we pretend to be um, very supportive and very loyal and very understanding and very, like, with you, right? But we don't want people to see the side of ourselves that's selfish or that's crass or that's super needy, right? Like, we hide all of those parts because we want to be better than we are. And in Scripture... In scripture, we see Jesus every single time, and he is completely honest in himself. And when he meets people, he knows exactly who they are, and he is hoping that they will be completely honest with themselves about who they are. And he's like, no, 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 like, I want to know the real you. And then every single time he meets someone, he speaks to the real them. He doesn't speak to the facade. He always speaks to the real them. And in those moments, there's one of two reactions. Either people receive what Jesus is saying, they receive his words, and they, they, they come like a, a fresh cup of water, or they reject his words, and they're angry, and they're frustrated, and they leave him, and some of them hate him. Jesus is attempting, and we're reading a story in John 3, to get close to one of his friends to get close to one of his friends. And this is in John 3. And uh, we see a man, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's up on the screen. And it says this. This is about a man named Nicodemus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was a part of the Jewish ruling council, a.k.a. the Sanhedrin, okay? And you hear about Pharisees, and people talk all the time, and they say, well, Pharisees were very, they had a lot of religious power in the day. And that never made sense to me, because I never pictured a pastor as having, like, a whole lot of power. Um, But the Sanhedrin didn't just have religious power. They had political power given to them by Rome through Herod. And so these dudes did not just rule um, religiously, although they did that too, but they also ruled politically. And so you have to think of a a public figure today, a political figure today, and how hard um, they work to manage their public image. And that's Nicodemus. And it says this, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs um, you are doing if God was not with him. And so there are two things that I notice about Nicodemus in this moment. One, I think Nicodemus, and when I read it, I can just kind of sense it in scripture, he was a sincere man. He was a sincere man. He comes to Jesus, and he's by himself. He's not with the crowds. He's not with other Pharisees. He doesn't want to trip him up. He wants to discover for himself who Jesus is. And so he comes, and he's all by himself, and he says, you know, I think you're from God. Can we we have a conversation? I think I want to know a little bit more about you. I want to know you. And I sense his sincerity. But the second thing about Nicodemus is that he came at night. He came at night. And um, this second part is important because he came at night because he wanted to come. He wanted to know Jesus, but he wanted to keep his public image intact. At this point, Pharisees and Sadducees, sorry, I am struggling here. Sorry, guys. I need to tape this sucker. Um, Pharisees and Sadducees had agreed to make a decree. And the decree was, um, they started to hear about this Jesus, and they started to become hostile towards Jesus, and they said, if anyone thinks that this man, or even utters a word that they think that this man might be the Messiah, they will be put out of the synagogue. They will be exiled, okay? 
And we know that this is true because it talks about it later on in scripture. There's, um, there's a young man who gets healed. He's probably your age. He's in his 20s. He gets healed. Jesus heals him, um, spits into his hand, puts his hand over his eyes, um, and the kid washes away the mud right from his eyes, and in that moment he can see. The Pharisees come to him and they say, who did this? Who was the one that healed him? And, and you better not have the, right, or the wrong answer here, and you better not say um, something about Jesus or about how he's the Messiah. And the parents are terrified. They're terrified. And so it says this. Um, his parents said this. The parents claimed to know nothing. They said, we know nothing, Pharisees. We know nothing. They said this because they were afraid that the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And so the synagogue on Jesus' day wasn't just a place where people would come and worship. It wasn't just like church. It was a place uh, where people had community. And so to be put out, to be exiled here would be to become a social pariah. And so Nicodemus knows this. He's like, there's no way. I want people to know I am coming to Jesus, and so I'm going to do it at night. He wants Jesus, but he wants to maintain his image. He wants Jesus... Let me know if this is you in here. But he doesn't want Jesus messing around with his life. And Jesus came, it says in scripture, to befriend people like Nicodemus. To befriend Nicodemus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us to be close to us. And Jesus is the type of friend that is 100% honest. Not with what we are out here, but with what we are in here. And so he speaks to Nicodemus in that moment about where Nicodemus is at and about what he needs to hear. And I was thinking about it this week. How many of you have friends that are actually like this? How many of you have friends who are 100% honest with you? And I think for a lot of us, we would say we don't have many of those friends. And the reason why is because we don't allow ourselves to be truly known. We want to pretend like we're better than we are. In the 1980s, when some of us were born, holla. (laughs) Oh, there's two of us. Okay, cool. In the 1990s, in the 1980s, And in the 1990s, a movement began in public schools, and the movement was um, all around and based around bolstering um, a young child's self-esteem. And the whole goal of how to arrange curriculum and um, the whole goal of the way that a teacher would teach or how they would speak to their students uh, was to absolutely build up and to impact the self-esteem of these students. So much so... In the 1990s, they began uh, the idea, and a couple of schools, public schools, began removing competitive sports from the schools. The reason being is that if you had a competitive sport, you had a winner and you had a loser, and they didn't want any children ever feeling like they were losers, and so they started removing those programs. I was reading about some schools uh, this week in the Washington Post in Massachusetts, and these particular schools had gone to the lengths so much of not wanting to offend a child, not wanting for a child to feel badly about himself, that they would let the children jump rope in PE class, but they would remove the ropes. The reason being was they never wanted, (laughs) true story, they never wanted the children to feel sheepish or to feel stupid or to feel bad when they would trip up on the rope. 
We live in a culture that avoids speaking honesty, that avoids speaking truth to spare people's feelings. And we laugh. We laugh about these schools and we laugh about these children, but the reality is, is that for me, and I know this is true about me, and I believe this is true about a lot of us in here, is that we do not want people pointing out, we do not want people finding out where we are weak, where we fail, where we don't quite measure up, where we miss the mark, where we sin. We don't want people pointing out that, and so we avoid those types of relationships. We crave Jesus. We just don't want him to be honest with us. And it hurts sometimes, right, when people are honest? It hurts. Proverbs 27 is pointing out um, friendships, and it says this. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What it's saying there is that sometimes a real friend will love you enough to look at you and say, I know you want to act like you're better than you actually are, but I want to tell you how to actually get better. And so can I speak into your life for a moment? It might hurt a little, okay? But wounds from a friend that cares about you and loves you can be trusted. An enemy, somebody that doesn't care about you, is just going to tell you how awesome you are all the time. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. A few years ago, John and I, um, we've had a friend for years, years. We've known this man. We've gone to birthday parties with this man. We've celebrated holidays and gone out to dinners and stayed out late together and had conversations and gone to church and had theological debates and met girlfriends and the whole deal. Like, we've been friends for years and years and years, but his life was one that looked kind of like a cycle and not a good cycle. Like, he would make a monstrosis mistake in his life, and then, um, and then he would, you know, have this low point where he was angry at God about all of the consequences from his decisions, and then he would kind of repent, and he would come back to church, and then he'd make a monstrosis decision again, and he would just go in this circle, just over and over and over again. And my husband and I prayed about it, and my husband went to him, and he sat down with him, and he said, um, you're my friend, I love you. I love you so much. I love you enough to hope that you want to be better than this. And so I need to talk to you, friend. I need to talk to you because you claim to be a Christian, but you do not have fruit in your life that looks like a Christian. Galatians 5 says that peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness should be on the forte of your life, but you are breeding fruit for death, which is anger, jealousy, malice. You've got these things in your life. You treat God like he's a, he's a gumball machine. Like you put the right coins in and he's going to give you what you want and you're angry with him. When your life doesn't turn out the way that you want, friend, you have got to make some things right. And just like Jesus, there was an opportunity for, for this friend, you know, to receive and to say, oh, man. Man, I hear you and I know that you love me. And I know that you're saying this because you love me. And, and wounds from a friend can be trusted. And John and I were just praying that that's how it would be received. But instead, what happened was he distanced himself from us. And from the people that we knew. And from our circle of friends. Like Nicodemus. I want Jesus. I just don't know if I want him messing around with my life. I want to know about you. I just don't know that I want you to... Be honest with me. 
And the kind of um, friendship that Jesus has towards us will always, always, always cost us life per usual. Always. And Jesus, in every single encounter that he has, is disruptively, disruptively and refreshingly honest. I'll just give you a few examples. He meets a woman at a well, and he tells her, quote, everything she ever did. Can you imagine that? Let me just tell you, like, you've got a rap sheet. It's intense. (laughs) And in that moment, though, she doesn't feel condemned. She feels loved. She's actually relieved that someone finally knows. He's honest. Martha in the kitchen. Martha comes to him and she's like, Jesus, we tell my I'm the only one doing chores. Will you just tell her? And Jesus says, Martha, what you're doing is good, but what Mary's chosen is better. And so can you just come be with me? He's speaking to her performance. He's being honest. When the adulterous woman is laid at his feet and people want to stone her, he says, okay. And he's honest with the Pharisees out here. He goes, all right, well, which one, if any of you haven't sinned, go for it. Let's do it. And they all leave. And then he looks at her and he says, does anybody condemn you? And she goes, no, nobody. And he goes, neither do I. And then he says this. He doesn't just forgive her and he doesn't just love her. He speaks truth and he says, now go and don't do this anymore. Stop doing this. Honest. Peter. Peter, you don't understand the kingdom. Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Honest. And every time he's talking, there's, you just have to read it because sometimes we read it with religious eyes and we don't read it with the tone because whenever you see Jesus moving, you can assume that it is love personified. And so he says, he says Peter, you don't, Peter, you're going to betray me. Honesty. James and John are fighting over who's going to be first in heaven. Honesty. Jesus came to befriend us, and I dare you to find a moment in the Gospels where he's looking at someone, and he's not completely and totally honest with them. He came to befriend us, but that friendship messes with our lives, per usual. After Nicodemus comes that night, Jesus is honest with him, and I want to read these next scriptures. Um, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, look, Nicodemus, the life you have built is awesome, okay? But if you want access to me and you want salvation, um, I need access to all of you. You have to be born again. You got to give up life as you know it. And he goes on and he says, um, Nicodemus asks him, he says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can never enter uh, a second time into their mother's womb and be born. He's confused. And Jesus answered and he tells him, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken spoken to you about earthly things and you don't believe how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things no one has ever gone into the uh, heaven except the one who came from heaven the son of man he's talking about himself I love that he says son of man just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness the son of man must be lifted up and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life now now get this because the most famous scripture ever is going to be spoken to this man for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Amen. He didn't speak truth to condemn it, but to save the world through him. 
Jesus' honesty is on display here, and he keeps going. He says, this is the verdict. The light came into the world, um, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds were, will be exposed. That's what I want to camp on. But whoever lives in the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly, amen, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus makes it clear to Nicodemus if you want access to me, I need access to everything. If you want to be with me, I need access to everything. And then he says this, don't be afraid of being exposed. Don't be afraid of being exposed, not with me. And don't let that be the thing that keeps you from me. And I didn't write this in my notes, but if there's anybody in here who's just been kind of run, like you come to church and stuff, but you've been running from Jesus because you are so nervous about what he thinks of you, I promise you, one, he already knows, and two, he is going to look at that thing that you have not exposed, and he won't even blink an eye. And I'll say, it's okay. Do they condemn you? Nope, neither do I. Don't do it anymore. Let's do this. We're people like Nicodemus. We want Jesus, right? But we don't want him messing with our lives. We create social media profiles with el- that we elaborately manage. We make sure that we're not exposed. We don't join, join small groups because they meet weekly, right? And so somebody's not just going to see you on Sundays. They're going to see you on Tuesdays too. And at some point, like the chinks in your armor are going to show. And so that's just too much. So you're just not going to be around. We carefully um, watch what we say to our friends. We expose. This is my favorite. When you're in a group of people and they're like, I have a prayer request. And you're like, awesome. And it's always about their like brother or their cousin or their like uncle. It's never about them. And I want to just once just be like, what's going on with you? Are you Okay. Do you need prayer? We expose ourselves, but only so much. And so the question for us tonight is, do you let Jesus in close enough to see all of you? Do you let him in close enough to see all of you? Um, Band, you guys can come back out here. And tonight, I don't know where you are, but just knowing human nature, I believe that every single one of us in here has an area of our lives that Jesus would love to be honest with us in this moment. For the sake of us becoming better so that we don't have to pretend like we're better than we actually are. He's looking at us and he's saying, can I expose this? I'd love to make you better so that you don't have to pretend to be better than you actually are. And for you, it might be that you are just dealing with some crippling anxiety or insecurity. For you, it might be, um, you know, that, that there's some sin that you don't, like, talk about with friends. And even right now, like, your heart's pounding because you're like, oh, my gosh, I hope, I hope Jesse doesn't know. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus does, and he loves you, and he accepts you. For you, it might be a brokenness you just never brought to him. Jesus said honest things. He said things like, go and sin no more. He said things like, um, you know, you Pharisees, like you heap a law on people that you don't keep yourself. You're hypocrites. And, and every time he said this, I believe it in my heart, you guys. I believe that Jesus had a heart for those people. And he wanted them to be- become his friend. He wanted them to hear what he had to say. And at one point, he says, um, you Pharisees, you are like a whitewashed tomb. You look really good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. And some of us are in here, and we're like, amen, that's me. And Jesus was not being a jerk. 
He was not being a jerk in this moment. Anytime you see Jesus being honest, like that scripture um, from John 1 talks about, it says that he was the personification of truth. He was honest and grace. And so every moment, every time he was honest, he said, I'm being honest with you because you're safe with me. I'm being honest with you because I don't judge you. That's already been dealt with. I'm being honest with you because I want you to be redeemed. I'm being honest with you because I don't want you to live in this sin anymore. I'm being honest with you because you need to know that you're more than this, you're better than this, and this area of your life can actually be redeemed if you'd let me, just let me be honest with you. John Eldridge puts it this way, apparently Jesus' disruptive words were just the right touch at just the right moment. Now, in order to appreciate how beautiful this is, think of how rarely it occurs, and even um, more rarely, um, or sorry, and how even more rarely it is done well. Most people go through their entire lives without anyone ever speaking honest, loving, direct words to the most damaging issues in their lives. The beauty of his disruptive honesty is you can count on Jesus to tell the truth in the best possible way for you to hear it. Jesus wants you to be better so you don't have to act like you're better than you are. And that night... Nicodemus received his words. And the reason I know this is because later on in scripture, Jesus gets hung on a cross. And the person that pulls him down and embalms him and wraps his body in spices and buries him and spends the money to make all of that happen, knowing that everyone's going to know that he's the one that paid for the funeral, is Nicodemus. He's all in. I believe that that night. He received what he had to say, and he said, okay, okay. You want all of me? Game on. Game on. You have access to everything. And that's what Jesus wants for us tonight. He wants us to be able to be open with him, to be honest with him, to be exposed. First Thess- Thessalonians says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Another translation said, May the God of peace sanctify you in all things. And everybody in here, we got areas, right, that need to be worked on. And so tonight, if you guys would stand, would you just allow him to be honest with you in worship? Allow him to speak truth to you. Allow him to be truth and grace with you. And tonight, um, during worship, just say, thank you, Jesus, that you accept me. Thank you that there's no condemnation. Thank you that you know every part of me. And you actually, you don't want me to live up to some facade that I've been trying to maintain. But you actually want to make me better so that I don't have to act like I'm better than I actually am. Tonight, I believe that he has something um, refreshing to speak to every single person in here and there is no condemnation in him there is truth there's honesty and then there is grace to say okay now that I've talked about this I will bear your burden as we walk it out that's the kind of God we serve let me pray for us God thank you for tonight thank you for worship I pray that um, worship would just be powerful and that we would just get to engage with you God the God that came to befriend us I love you, Jesus, so much. I love you for what you've done in my life and for what you're you're doing in ours. And we pray this in Jesus.